Hey, coming up, have you ever struggled to overcome a major tragedy in your life? To put your life back on track? Well, today we're going to be talking with a man who fell asleep at the wheel, causing an accident that killed his wife and child. He's going to join us to tell us about his journey to forgive himself and how he went on to build a healthy and happy life. We're going to be talking about that right after the news on The Matt Townsend Show. Good afternoon. I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Republican lawmakers on Capitol Hill have produced a plan that would allow the U.S. to dodge the pending fiscal cliff and counters a plan put forward by President Obama last week. Led by House Speaker John Boehner, Republican, the Republican effort to solve the pending tax hikes and budget cuts calls for a savings of $2.2 trillion. The plan would achieve this by increasing tax revenues through a reform of the tax code, savings on health care programs, and cuts to discretionary spending. Boehner says he hopes the White House will seriously consider the plan because going over the fiscal cliff will seriously hurt job growth and the economy. Police are still trying to discover the motive behind the tragic murder of the girlfriend of Kansas City Chiefs linebacker Jovan Belcher, who also took his own life. After shooting 22-year-old Cassandra Perkins, who was also the mother of their three-year-old chi- three-month-old child, Belcher drove to the Chiefs' practice facility and took his own life in front of the head coach. One friend said there was nothing that could have predicted the tragedy. The two only argued about normal couple things. Israeli officials are moving forward with plans to settle contested portions of land despite mounting international criticism. The move from Israel is a response to a U.N. General Assembly decision last week which upgraded Palestine's statehood status. Several European countries and even leaders in the U.S. are condemning the settlement plan. Israel plans to build 3,000 residences in the occupied West Bank and parts of East Jerusalem. Officials in Washington say the move will hinder, hinder newly made peace efforts in the region and are urging Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to reconsider. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton is reiterating a warning to the Syrian regime. If they move to use chemical weapons, the U.S. will step in. The Syrian conflict is now 20 months old and continuing to expand. With rebel forces advancing, rumors have surfaced that that the regime's chemical weapon stash is on the move. Clinton is making it clear that if the threat of chemical warfare seems imminent, the U.S. is planning to take action. As the situation continues to dissolve, the United Nations has pulled all non-essential personnel out of the region. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, Matt Townsend, your relationship coach, your guide on the side. We do what we can on this program every Monday through Friday to help you and your loved ones grow healthier lives, happier lives. You know, we want to be the handbook to the humanity that exists or doesn't exist. So welcome to the program. We've got a great show for you today. Honestly, it's going to be a little 
more serious, but I truly believe it's going to uh, – we're going to learn a lot. So welcome to the program. We're going to be taking on – eventually we're going to get into the idea of how do you move on when tragedy strikes. So if all you have to do is listen long enough and you're going to the news and you're going to start to realize there's a lot of tragedy in this world, Right. And uh, most of it, honestly, we didn't ask for, but uh, it's still knocking at the door. So we're going to get into that. We're going to be talking to somebody who had, uh, with his wife, was involved in a tragic accident uh, back in 1997 and ended up uh, in the accident having his legs crushed and uh, lost one of his legs. And his wife passed away, as did their child. And we're going to be talking to Jeff Olson, who's going to teach us the lessons he learned about how to move on, how to overcome how to rebuild your life. And so if you're out there struggling from even just, you know, the death of somebody that's dear to you, uh, a tragedy, or maybe it doesn't have to be like a major kind of event, newsworthy event. Maybe it's just the loss of somebody that you care about. I think Jeff's uh, view of life is going to be very, very inspirational. So we're excited for him to come along. But before we do that, we like to get into the headlines, the headlines that teach us about humans. And uh, honestly, let's be very real. Last week, I had a rant, not to steal from you, Bryce, but I ranted last week about the fact that we need people to keep having children and instead people aren't. These younger marrieds are, I guess, not even marrying, but they're just getting dogs and living together. And I said, hey, we need people getting married and having babies. Because, because they gotta they got to pay for all of your stuff. Somebody's got to pay for me in old age. Self-serving with a purpose uh, hello, if I've ever I'm heard it. I'm paying for the older generation, so I need someone to pay for me. I'm just trying to set that up. Now, guess who took my advice? Who? The royalty. Oh. They listen to and the show. Kate are pregnant. <laughs> I don't, apparently, I, I didn't even know they listened to the show. I didn't know they could get the show out of in not it's, the United States. It's satellite radio. It, yeah, it's it's just states. Yeah, yeah but, they can go on the internet. Oh, that's yeah. way unless way. you're royalty too. They probably have their own the BYU yeah. radio live stream. Yes, and I know they listen because she's pregnant and she's sick. She's got morning sickness. Oh, poor yes. thing. Well, you know, I'm sure they'll figure it out. <laughs> They're royal. They, they have resources <laughs> she on hand. A royal sick. sickness. So, you know what? That's great because this will be the heir. This child will be third in line to the big seat. Right? Right behind Prince Charles and William. I guess. And then Lenny. The royal <laughs> Lenny. Or whatever they're going to call it. I bet it'll be a girl, so it won't be Lenny. It'll be something beautiful like Elizabeth. Little Lizzie. That'd be cute. Won't that be cute? Mm-hmm. Someday we'll have a little poll and we'll name the baby for him. Because if they're <laughs> listening, they'll probably need some ideas. True. Maybe Madison. Maybe we could name it after you, Madison. Oh, what a good name. What a great name. Call her Maddie. Madeline. <laughs> or maybe Skyboy. Skyboy. Let's not do that. That wouldn't work. <laughs> As a girl, that would be a little misleading. Yeah. Yeah, you probably ought to do Sky Girl. <laughs> There's Skyler's a name girls use now. I've heard that. Yeah. It's, it's a very pretty name. <sighs> anyway. Well, you know, because... There's just all this cuteness going around, cuteness. and I know that you just love unicorns, oh, Matt. Oh, yes. I know. So, apparently... Now, by the way, let's just shoot straight here, because some people don't think they exist, but I hope you have evidence they do. Oh, apparently, um, North Korea announced that they found 
this unicorn lair. Oh, in yeah. North Korea. Uh-huh. Excellent. Yeah, so um, there was this legend that this old king, it looks like Tong Myung, um, he... Who? <laughs> just say it again. <laughs> Why? I just want to hear you say it again. Tong Myung. Oh, oh him. him. <laughs> I thought you said the other Tong. <laughs> oh. Okay, that makes more sense. <laughs> Um, so yeah, he apparently once rode a unicorn and there's like this rectangle rock, yeah. rectangular rock uh-huh. outside of this cave entrance. And it says the lair of the unicorn. I well, know. So they it, found it. Well, you know, if you are a unicorn, you would mark your lair with your name. Exactly. The, lair of the unicorn. I mean, there you go. You know so. what? Does it say anything about a jackalope? No, because it not. usually if you'll find a unicorn, there's a jackalope that is near. I but, think jackalopes are pretty cool. They're totally cool. Yeah. And they're totally real, just like the unicorn. So uh, maybe if you're going to – I mean, where else on earth could you find a unicorn if it's not in North Korea? What other countries do we have no access to get into to actually do research on this lair? Mm. Cuba? Yeah. <laughs> maybe cool. Iran? Maybe some places in Africa. Okay. So I totally believe it. Now, I know you guys look at me like I'm crazy. I know unicorns exist. (laughs) Okay. I've seen them on the internet. And I just just think they're incredible. Okay. Well, I'm glad that you do think so. So you made my day. So, you know, it's just kind of funny, you know, because North Korea – you know, they report these things to lend legitimacy to the dictatorial regime of sure. North Korea. And did you well, nothing's also, more legitimate than that. I know. Did you know that, um, you know, the former dictator Kim Jong-il, yes. he was said to have invented the hamburger. Oh, yes. Um, written 1,500 books over the course of three years while in college. Prolific. Oh, I know. And <laughs> shot 11 holes in one his first time golfing. Oh, wow. wow. You know Why? Unicorns. Yes, exactly. If you had a unicorn to ride and to just derive all of the positive karma or goodness from, tell me you couldn't do all of that. I know. You totally invented the hamburger. Oh, Makes man. sense, right? That is way cool. Plus, you can hang your clubs right on the unicorn horn. <laughs> hmm? Yeah. I'm it works. Saying. That's good news. So See? have you heard of the onion? Yes. Uh, so it's like Love this. It. <laughs> it's a fake it's, it's no, I, no, I'm not joking. The Onion is a magazine where they make up stories. Yeah. But that's not on The Onion, is it? Uh, no, Good. but you know what they did post? What? Um, a spoof that North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un was the this. sexiest man alive. And do you know that it that North Korea thought that it was real? No, no, no. no. It was uh, a... <laughs> an anti-North Korea newspaper in China. Oh. They picked it up. And they, oh, and they played it through China. Y- they pushed it through China. Yeah, so they just were, they don't know <laughs> what the onion is. And so they picked it up like, what? What is this what? onion? <laughs> this He's is the sexiest <laughs> man alive. Isn't that great? I think. Pretty great. See, but that's why, that's why China's not going to let us in with internet. That's why they're going to shut down the internet. <laughs> exactly. They're like, when we get internet from you guys, yeah. you it's, embarrass us. It's never right. So we're not letting it in anymore. <laughs> you know what? They just need to take journalism school. Or they just they just yeah. need two or three. There's this thing called checking your sources. Sources, yeah. You just got a source now. The, uh, so, but again, they'll probably believe that the unicorn doesn't live just because that story from the onion but, ruined it right there. Yeah, but we all know it's true. <laughs> anyway, uh, any other news or bits from you folks? Matt, tell me if this has ever happened to you. Yes. Right? 
you get up in the middle of the night for myriad of reasons. Okay? Oh, yeah. You're walking around. For some reason, you walk through the danger zone that was your kid's play area. Yes. And then you step on a Lego. Oh, yes. And you question your religion. Yes. And then I throw all the Legos away. Right? Yes. Okay. So Legos. Uh, uh, many a night... I've had a parent yell and scream, <laughs> come get your Lego. Yeah, right. Due to a Lego lodged yeah. in their heel. <laughs> but here's, here's a happy Lego story. Yes. Not one fraught with injury. So there's this kid. That nobody died in this story. Uh, well, we don't know yet. Okay. Uh, it's not, I, as far as I know, we're still good. Good. There's a, a boy in Massachusetts. He's a big fan of Legos. And uh, he was saving up for this certain Lego set that he had his eye on. And they, the guys at Lego stopped producing it before oh, no. he could purchase it. Now, I don't know how long he was saving, but... So he had his... See, that's the deal. They bait you with this, this little catalog. You read the catalog for years. Get your hopes up. Legos are, are, are expensive. They're not cheap. I actually, I've noticed when I was buying Legos, yes. when I had money... Um, back when you were wealthy. Back when I was wealthy. Pre-student age. Um, yeah, these giant sets that, you know, I don't know, probably like $10 worth of plastic, yes. 150 bucks. No, true. I mean, it's... I have a friend, won't name names, that told me over the years he has seven children. Oh, but no. he's, and like half of them are boys. But he says over the years he truly believes he has spent about $30,000 to Legoland or to Legos. So going to Legoland a couple times. Which is buying awful every a million, time you go. You know, things, everything. So he's indebted. So it's a so they put out this Lego set and, and then, then they took it away. Took and it this away. boy, you know, he was he was having a wrong he was having a rough time. Sad. He also has Asperger's. Oh no. Um so he was really, really attached to this Lego set. They decided, well, let's write Lego. Let's see what they have to say. And uh they they get, they sent him an apology letter. They're like, Oh, we're so sorry. We had to put this away. Oh, Sorry. And, and by the way, October 19th, the package shows up. It's got the Lego set. Boom, Lego. Good guy, How Lego. How cool are they? That's, That's kind cool. of awesome of them. That is. And they track it. And plus, the like, if your child has Asperger's and you know Legos work right. to help right. him just focus and live and make it through the day, like, what a blessing is that? Right. Because <laughs> it could have been, sorry, because he may not ever let that go. And yeah. now it shows up on the 13th. October? October 19th. The story's a little old. Yeah. <laughs> we probably didn't hear about it till now. But That's still. Cool. I like it. High five Lego. High five Legos. Now, only one thing you need is just to figure out how we don't step on them in the middle of the night. Wooden shoes. Holland already is on top of that, all right? So, wooden shoes. You know what? That's a yeah, that's a solution a lot of people wouldn't think of. All right. Just put on wooden shoes. Put wooden on shoes. your clogs. Put on your clogs when you go to the bathroom in the middle yeah. of the night. Forget about slippers. You don't need something warm, fuzzy. Hey, speaking of kids, by the way, guess what I did last night? Uh, what was last night? We put our <laughs> Christmas tree up. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh. Hey. Totally agree. You know what I just think is kind of funny? What? In my family, I am the one that decorates a Christmas tree. Ever since I was like 12, my yes. mom's like, okay, Madison, decorate the Christmas tree. No one else. No one. I've been like, well, why doesn't this other person do it? Nope. How come I'm the only one? Exactly. Did you do it? Have you done it yet? Um, you know what? Actually, my mom called me. Oh, no. To bring me home so I could decorate Did the Christmas really? tree. We really need you to set up our decoration. <laughs> That's cute. Yeah. At least they care. Exactly. I uh, had a miracle happen last night. I 
turned on. We had the tree already, and I was ready to now put the light, don the lights onto the tree. You don them, I guess. D O N. That's like don. I don't know. Don. De, anyway, and that um, song. It's a song somewhere. Yeah. That's why I threw that out. Because songs always make sense. Well, and they're on the interweb. Um, so I'm putting them on, but guess what? A miracle. When I when I I had about seven strands. Okay, half of them worked. Okay, and an- another few worked, but only half of the lights on the strand worked. So I was in trouble. And it was Sunday night, so I didn't anyway. I didn't want to go out and go buy lights, so I just kind of walked away from it. I just walked away. Good. And um, came back about an hour later. Actually, yeah, probably two quarters of a football game later. <laughs> and, uh, Not that you were watching no, a football I wasn't. game. No, no. It was, I just remember it was two quarters. Uh, it was halftime, and I came back and I plugged them back in. Guess what? They all worked. Boom. They, they all, worked. All of them? Almost. Almost. 92%. Okay, that's a good number. Yeah. 92% of them worked. And um, then put them on the tree. Boom. Plug them in. Guess what? 100%. Tree lights on fire. They don't work again. Oh. Uh-huh. Guess what I did? What'd you do? Shook the tree. <laughs> they work again. <laughs> Shake the tree. That's, so I that's think I've secret. got something. I've got a, There's something about my touch. I shake the tree. Lights go on. It's a gift. My kids shake the tree, lights go off. I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying, don't shake my tree. So, you know, I feel good. We had a great family night. No one died. Only one of our seven of us that are home chose to abstain from the whole night. They just decided, no, we're not doing that. Okay. They just, which is about the right odds. I mean, what? We lose 20% in any given activity. <laughs> and we lost one. But they'll be back tonight. And then we'll lose another one. One by one, we're always having one shy of the whole family because of what we call agency. <laughs> and, you know, life. Yeah, people get to choose. People get a little attitude. People don't like that you threw that ball at me while we were putting the tree up. And so, you know, we But they, they should just suck it up and have some Christmas cheer, That's dang right. it. Or don't make me right. pull the unicorn out. Right. Because <laughs> you're not getting a unicorn ride when I get one. So uh, that was it. Good times, good life. Do you guys, uh, you ready for a great show? This is it. Good. This is a heavy topic, well, but a cool story and a great success. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to get into the big topic of the day, how to better manage, better respond to, better recover from life's tragedies, the, the little things that tend to just take all the air out of our life. We're going to be talking to Jeffrey C. Olson, the author of I Knew Their Hearts, uh, an amazing true story of a a man that uh, lost his family and had to rebuild his life. We'll come back right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Technology used to find underwater cable damage could be modified to usher in a new generation of touch-sensitive products. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. Today, the gestures and taps we use to interact with our smartphones and touchscreen tablets doesn't seem nearly as peculiar as it would have looked just a few years ago. Now, a new type of touch technology, developed by researchers at the University of Munich and the Hasso Plattner Institute, could lead to touch-sensitive features incorporated in everyday items, such as coffee tables, clothing, headphone wires, even pieces of paper. The promising technology relies on something called time domain reflectometry, or TDR. TDR measures the timing of an electric pulse to do things like detect damage in underwater cables. 
or find wiring problems in aircraft avionics. The use of TDR isn't new, but the ability to sense a short time delay over remarkably short distances has gotten much more accurate in recent years. Researchers want to test ways to shrink a TDR system design into a chip. In contrast to the matrix of wires that give current smartphones their touchscreen capabilities, the technology could be a relatively simple way to add interactive touch features to just about anything you use around the home or office. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Thinking Aloud invites thoughtful thinkers and creators to share their insights into the ideas and art of the world around us. Whether it's music, medicine, sport, science, or literature, Brigham Young University scholars can share eye-opening ideas and stimulating conversation on all. Join our host, Marcus Smith, for discussion and exclusive interviews weekdays at 1.30 and 8.30 Eastern on Sirius XM 143, BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. And uh, we're today we're going to be diving into tragedy, how you recover from tragedy, how you, uh, I mean, it's, I think, in, inevitably, each of us, if we live long enough, we're going to suffer through something that hits very close to home. Just listening to the news, uh, every night you'll hear another family thrown into chaos and tragedy. Um, now, we've all gone through some hard times in our lives, and, and while we do not like them, that is life, and we cannot stop it from happening. And since we can't stop it from happening, our producer, Madison Allred, shares a positive look about what you can gain from some of these experiences. Sometimes tragedies bring out the best in people. Recently, this is the most apparent in the wake of Hurricane Sandy that devastated the East Coast just a month ago. Neighbors banded together to help each other out. A photo went viral of one neighbor's act of kindness. For some reason, their house had power while the neighbors did not, so they strung a power strip with an extension cord going out to the sidewalk with a sign that said, Feel free to charge your phone here. Almost every outlet was filled as neighbors plugged in their phones so that they could keep in contact with loved ones as the storm rolled in. There were some stories of people that opened their homes to neighbors that they had never talked to, but their homes were destroyed and needed a place to sleep. Even as Hurricane Sandy has ended, the relief effort continues on. People are donating clothes to those who lost theirs and need to keep warm in these colder winter months. This tragedy has brought out the generous and caring nature of so many people as they reach out to help others. Aside from donations of time and items, money is something that most people will be willing to donate for relief in a tragedy. The total has not been calculated yet for Hurricane Sandy, but the U.S. has raised quite a bit of money for some other natural disasters in the past few years. The totals, according to the New York Times, are for Japan, it was $64 million, Haiti, $305 million, and for Hurricane Katrina, $4 billion. Even though we would rather that things like this did not have to happen, these tragedies can bring out the best in people. In the case of a natural disaster, people become more caring about others such as your neighbors and your family. If it is in your personal life, 
You tend to become more reflective and to decide what truly matters, and then focus on it and make the decision to change for the better. I invite you that when you are listening to Tales of Trials, to focus on the good coming out of the bad. We can all be inspired by these stories, and we can make a goal out of being better, too. Well done, Madison. Thanks. Uh, do you remember watching um, Hurricane Katrina um, on the news? Yeah. Or Haiti? Mm, or I the remember tsunami? I remember the tsunami more. I was a little bit older then. Yeah. I was a bit of a youngin. I mean, it's amazing. And as an adult, like with my kids, it's a big deal. My kids, like, like that really broke them. Mm-hmm. In fact, it reminded me of when... Um, like Elizabeth Smart disappeared. Like when I was, yeah. that's right when I was, you know, um, raising a daughter. I think she was probably six at the time or so. But I mean, yeah. tragedy, it's, ah, uh, it's so hard. And the funny thing about it is, it's one thing, I guess, these natural, national kind of disasters. But what happens when the tragedy is your family oh. or is your fault? An accident, a rollover, a car? Something that you do. I mean, that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. How do you overcome that? So we're bringing on after this break. We're going to bring on. Um, I've been really excited about this interview because it's to me as it, it goes so well. I think hand in hand with Christmas time, and I'm sure uh, I don't want to put pressure on Jeff Olson, who's going to be joining us to have to make it fit that way. But really, there is a great gift that that happens um, when. When we can handle this tragedy and when we can come out the other side, there's so much we can learn about ourselves, about our families, about our friends, uh, who's close to us. And I honestly believe even about our God, our spiritual self. And so he's going to be – Jeff Olson is going to be helping us with that. Now, this also, I believe, could not be more timely because recently, just this weekend at Brigham Young University, we lost one of our very own students uh, named Madeline Morris. 18-year-old of Spring, Texas, was killed in a a car. The driver was her brother, Taylor Morris, who was a 23-year-old, also out of Spring, Texas. Uh, He suffered serious injuries um, in this accident. Apparently, he he, uh, had overcorrected. He was driving and um, had overcorrected, or I believe he actually may have even fallen asleep. We'll get to the, the details and talk about it right after the break. So here now is a young man. Facing on the way, going on the way down with his girlfriend. They had just been engaged, and the, his sister's in the back seat of the car, and they left really early. We're driving through the night, kind of an idea to get home to Texas mm-hmm. to tell them about the big engagement, and because, and then rolled the car. And so you think about this poor boy now who's uh, got to deal with the death of his sister and a marriage and bro- is really broken up and um, – He's going to need some help. That poor, poor guy. I cannot even imagine. So, I mean, same thing we're going to talk about with Jeff Olson. Had a very similar experience. So I think the timing could not be better for this show. So as you're sitting out there listening, uh, be thinking. Are there people in your life that need to maybe hear this show and the lesson of Jeff Olson, um, who also was driving in a car and uh, had fallen asleep. This was many years ago, back in 1997. He was married, had a young uh, child, and uh, he fell asleep while driving as well, ended up crashing his car, had his legs crushed, and um, sadly lost his wife and their child. 
And he, since, has had to to rebuild and try to figure out how to move on. If we're living in a world where trials and tragedy are inherent part, an inherent part of it, I guess one of the keys of uh, this program is to give you the tools to hopefully manage those trials better. So we're going to come back, take a break. When we come back, we'll be talking to Jeff Olson, who's going to give us his insight, the whole story of his tragedy and how he uh, how he maneuvered through it, how he found some light and uh, some miracles along the way. This is the Matt Townsend Show. So appreciate you joining us. We'll be back after this break right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. For regular updates on BYU Radio programming, sports, and other behind-the-scenes news, Follow BYU Radio on Twitter. Just search for BYU Radio, hit follow, and enjoy our tweets on news, live updates on shows, and much more. Talk about good. Good afternoon, I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143, BYU Radio. Supreme Court decided to take no action on various same-sex marriage cases up for their review today. An order list released made no mention of appeals to decisions regarding the National Defense of Marriage Act or California's Proposition 8, which banned same-sex marriage by constitutional amendment. The list restated the cases that will receive further consideration at a weekly conference this Friday. It is still possible the decision to review same-sex marriage laws could be made then. A new photo of accused killer George Zimmerman was released today by his lawyers, showing his beaten and bloodied face from the night of the attack. Zimmerman is facing second-degree murder charges for killing teenager Trayvon Martin in February, which he claims was in self-defense. In the photo, Zimmerman's nose is clearly broken, which could support his version of what happened that night. The release comes as part of the state's ninth supplemental discovery, and more documents are likely to follow. As chemical tanks continue to leak after a train bridge collapsed last week in New Jersey, surrounding schools have canceled classes. Authorities ordered the closure after detecting rising levels of toxic chemicals streaming from the wreckage. Investigators are also concerned about a group of Conrail workers who were inspecting the bridge just a day before it collapsed. So far, 12,000 gallons of vinyl chloride, a highly flammable and toxic industrial chemical, have been released into the river. Kate Middleton has announced she is pregnant with Prince William's first child. The couple announced they are expecting from St. James Palace to the delight of the English tabloids. There have been predictions of the royal couple having a baby on the way for weeks, with keen-eyed paparazzi pointing out an amount of clues, including the prince accepting a baby outfit, from a fan that reads Daddy's Little Co-Pilot across the front. In the official statement, the couple revealed that Middleton is 12 weeks long and is dealing with some complications with her doctors. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. 
We are coming back with a special guest who's going to walk us through how to how to learn, how to grow, how to deal with the tragedies that come in life. Earlier, I was telling you a story about um, a tragic accident uh, involving some BYU uh, students or um, Madeline Morris, uh, who is a BYU student, passed away uh, recently in an accident where her brother, Taylor Morris, was driving um, to Texas and had fallen asleep. And when he fell asleep, the car rolled over, tragically killing Maddie. And uh, again, we lost someone very special. And one of the things, interestingly, that Taylor told his family, uh, his initial reaction, it says in the newspaper, is it's all my fault, according to Rachel Morris, uh, Taylor and Maddie's sister. Our mom told him he was never allowed to say that again. He said, I just have to recognize the Lord saved me and Maddie was killed instantly. I have to recognize it was an accident. Now I just need to live my life in a way that embodies the spirit of Maddie. And so a tragedy. And ironically, so the minute I heard that story over the weekend, I thought of our guest today and was so grateful he's going to be on the show to give us some light and ideas on this. His name is Jeffrey Olson. Jeffrey C. Olson is a creative, talented uh, mentor. He's a consultant author. He's uh, the author of a book. And by the end of the program, we're going to be giving away five of these books. So listen up. If you're interested, we're going to have you give us a call. The name of the book is called I Know Their Hearts. Uh, It's the amazing true story of a journey beyond the veil and to learn the silent language of the heart by Jeff Olson. Now, Jeff was involved in an accident. Uh, I'm going to actually let Jeff explain that himself, Um, but he really is a powerful man. I happen to just have met his neighbor who referred me to Jeff and said, this is a man you've got to meet. So, Jeff Olson, welcome to the program. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it. You bet. So glad to have you here. I have been really excited for this interview. I think I think the world needs to understand your story, and uh, so appreciate you being here. Now, now, Jeff, let's let you just tell your story. Um, tragedy, you know, just listening to the news, we see it every day, and I'm sure when, in 1997, you weren't ever thinking that you'd be the next story. No. No, not at all. And it's it's been 15 years now, so I, I can speak of it. I mean, it, it took years, it, uh, yeah. you know, but before I could and ever it should, really right? come to terms. Well, well, yeah, yeah. And I, I had some profound spiritual experiences happen right at the scene of the accident and, and ongoing that, mm. that assisted me to get through it. But even at that, you know, it, it took it took a long time. Right. And um, and you don't get over it. I mean, I've gotten used to it. Yes. Um, but but 15 years ago, we were um, headed back from St. George, and it was the whole family. It was me, my wife. We had two sons. Uh, Spencer, my oldest son, was seven years old, and then my baby son, Griffin, was 14 months old. Mm. And I had, um, you know, everyone was in seatbelts. Griffin was in his car seat. I had put the cruise control on 75, and we were headed up I-15 northbound, heading back towards Salt Lake City. Yeah. And just, you, know, you had just was, come from a vacation. Yeah, yeah, it was Easter weekend, actually. We'd been down there seeing my wife's folks, her grandparents, and her mom and dad. Hmm. And, um, you know, just a beautiful family weekend. We dyed eggs the night before, and Sunday morning got up and hunted Easter eggs with the kids. And, you know, had, had a beautiful Easter dinner, and you went to church services, and, you know, wow. Monday morning packed up the car to come home. And, uh, you know, there was reports of crosswinds. There was reports of a red pickup driving erratically on the freeway. But quite honestly, I, I believe I fell asleep and, uh, and just dozed off and, and swear, you know, swerved to the right 
but overcorrected to the left, which caused our SUV to start to roll. Mm. Um, unfortunately, not not off the road, but but down the concrete with with that type of speed propelling it. Yeah, over probably, and over. Probably they say eight, yeah, at least eight uh, rotations uh, rolling, which, you know, I, I blacked out for most of that. Yeah. Um, but as the car came to a stop and I knew we were we were wrecked, I, as far as I could tell, I was pinned kind of underneath the steering wheel, whether on the seat or the floorboard, I, I don't know, but I was pinned there. And I could hear my oldest son, Spencer, crying in the back seat, which was incredibly relieving because as a parent, I, I, you know, he was hurt, but he was okay. I knew uh-huh. the cry was okay. Ugh. The most haunting thing was there was no, no sound from anyone else. And, yeah. and I, knew, uh, I knew that half the family was gone in that moment, and I had the same feeling. It's all my fault. It's all my fault. I was driving the car, and the, the guilt and remorse that go with that um, is, is devastating. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's devastating, and yet I was hurt back bad enough. It, it crushed both my legs. Both my legs were shattered from the knee down. I, I oh. lost the left leg. It was amputated. Um, my hip was crushed. My back was broken. My rib cage actually was crushed, and my lungs were collapsing. Uh, my right arm was nearly torn off, and then the seat belt had cut through me and ruptured my, my insides all out. And, uh, and so I was laying there a goner, um, listening to my son screaming in the back seat, and I, w- I could talk to him. I was conscious. Yes. I said, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And I, I wanted to move. I wanted to get to him somehow, and I couldn't. And, um, and I felt myself kind of slipping out of consciousness, but I was fighting that. And it was the worst, mm. you know, that's, that's the worst kind of hell for a man to be in. You know, right. knowing half his family's gone. I had a surviving son who desperately wanted me and needed me to be with him and, and I couldn't move and was actually feeling my own consciousness slip away till it finally did. And, um, you know, I, I did have a profound experience where I felt myself kind of leave or, or rise above the scene of that accident, um, only to be told I, I had to come back. In fact, it was, it was my deceased wife. That was the odd thing I oh, knew she was gone. Yeah. Yeah, and as I, as I left that realm in, into a place of peace, and, you know, and it was beautiful, but mm-hmm. there I was looking into the eyes of the woman I loved, who I knew was deceased, but there she was with me, alive and well, saying, you can't be here, you've got to go back. Not so fast, you. Yeah, yeah, and I knew, uh, you know, I, was, I knew my son was crying in the backseat of that car. Wow. And, uh, and, and I, did, I did come back, so to speak, and... Uh, had a profound experience wandering through the hospital, encountering strangers, you know, doctors, nurses, patients, but encountering them in such a way where I knew everything about them. I, I knew their love, I knew their hate, I knew their motivations for everything they'd ever done. Interesting. And yet I was, uh, yeah, I was filled with a profound love for every individual. I, I, I literally wanted to embrace them. Do you think that was from that, from that kind of spiritual moment you had at the scene or is that was that just you what was it that caused this i mean you had this you know, major change of heart oh yeah yeah it was it was two things that i could put my finger on and and the hardest thing about these matt is trying to explain it yeah, there's really sure. not words you know there's not words right. for what that was but as i at the scene of the accident as i i knew the mayhem and even on stepping to the other side or the hereafter or whatever you want to call that right that the profound question that was in my heart was to what degree have i learned to love have i really did did i love my wife and child enough did they know you know was i there for them and then 
in, in, in this hospital scene encountering these people thinking, gosh, did I love my neighbor? Did I love my brothers? Did I love, my, did, did I love the stranger? You know, and yet I was right. feeling this profound sense of, of love in a way I had never uh, felt before and uh, finally encountered what I thought was a man lying on you know, the hospital gurney there that I, I felt not much from, only to step closer to see that it was my body, that I was looking at myself and, and knowing I had to get back in and get on with things and, and figure this all out and find my son and, you know, all, all that rushed through me. And it, as quick as I thought it, it was, everything was as quick as I thought I was back in the body, um, but then the physical pain and more the emotional pain, that right. grief, that regret, that guilt, that, that wanting to take back those few seconds that... Uh, that, that, that devastated my whole world. Mm. I mean, really, and no one can understand that. I mean, it's, and it's not like it's a competition to understand it, but that no. really is your journey. It, it's, it was, yeah. No <laughs> one else could take it, and others could be on there the, on the side of the It's like a marathon, I guess. It's yours to run, and we could maybe give you something to drink here and there, but in the yeah. end, it was yours to run. Yeah, it's funny. I, um, somebody wrote me who works in hospice care, and they said, how do I, loved your book, how, how do I... What do I say to people, you know, who have lost? And, and the most profound thing I got was in a letter from a very dear friend who said, I will not even pretend to know how you feel. Right. And I thought, you know, that's the most honest thing that anybody said, because so many people were saying, I know how you feel. Oh, I've been through something similar. Yeah. And, and really, it, it is a personal, personal path that each of us get to walk. It's mm-hmm. the only, only way we ever learn, but boy, it, it can be painful at times. Well, and it can't, and I'm assuming that the most painful thing that, I guess, you, you, you lost a leg, you had a leg and a hip crushed, I mean, a lot of other problems physically, plus uh, your child that survived, you were there to help him recover. Um, what, then I guess I'm assuming the biggest emotional pain was just the loss and yeah. then dealing with your guilt from it. Yeah, it was the loss. I mean, I, I was in the hospital for oh, for five months. Oh. I had I had over eighteen surgeries as they put me back together, and you know, family showed up for me in a way that was uh, that was really beautiful. I mean, my my brothers and mom and dad, and you know, they 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 took my my son in who was not badly injured. He basically walked really? away from the scene of oh, the did, accident. How old was he again? Three. He was seven. Oh, seven. seven. Years old. Wow. And, uh, you know, he broke his arm and he bruised his ribs and he was banged up a little, but he was only held overnight for observations um, and, and was released. So for him to go through that trauma, yeah. you know, um, and for me to not be able to be there, I was in ICU for over three months, respirated and, you know, Where you really? and everything else. Yeah, so it was, uh, he, he was basically orphaned, except I hung in there. <laughs> Did your days, I mean, it seems like, I don't like hospitals anyway. At all, no. Jeff. So it <laughs> no. seems like if you're there that long, every day must go on forever. You know, it was, yeah. I mean, that, there was times I literally thought, I'm getting from one breath to the next, and yet the ventilator was breathing for, for me. me. So it would fill up my lungs, and I, I just, you know, the pain, and yet it, the, the hospital staff was so kind and so caring and so professional and all of it. I mean, I, it became home. In fact, what I, what I longed for for months to go home actually became frightening in the end because I thought, how am I going to do that in a wheelchair and without all the assistance around right. me? And, you know, what that, what's that going to look like? And that was, uh, that was also a challenge. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, Jeff, let's take a break. We're going we're gonna to go to break and come back. Um, I want to hear more of the story. I'd love to hear more about how your family 
kind of came together there. And and what you learn, I mean, it's because really when it comes to it, we're just a big family, really. And uh, I guess maybe that's our role is as one of us goes through this tragedy, our job is for all of us to step up and and help out. So we're talking to Jeff Olson, the author of the book, I Knew Their Hearts, The Amazing True Story of a Journey Beyond the Veil to Learn the Silent Language of the Heart. We'll be back with him again. We'll be giving away five of Jeff's books uh, at the end of the show today. So stick with us. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. A new ceramic coating could have us rethinking the five-second rule. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. Most people have an opinion on the so-called five-second rule, or whether food that's touched the ground is still safe to eat. Scientists have proven that just one second is enough time for food to be contaminated with bacteria, and eating it could make you seriously ill. But a new technology developed at the Dublin Institute of Technology sheds new light on one way to keep floors free from germs. The Institute's Center for Research and Engineering Surface Technology, known as CREST, worked with partners to create a surface coating that reacts to regular indoor light to kill bacteria and microorganisms. Light hitting the special coating generates free radicals, which destroy disease-causing pathogens. According to researchers, ceramic tiles treated with the light-activated antibacterial surface coating are over 99% effective at killing hospital superbug MRSA, E. coli, and the fungus that causes athlete's foot. The technology has been licensed by a company named Vitra, who is incorporating it into ceramic floor tiles. This could make medical facilities, gyms, and schools more sanitary, even if it doesn't make that old five-second rule any less disgusting. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. This Christmas season, BYU Radio brings you the true story of Santa Claus with our series, The Christmas Chronicles. Starting December 11th, we'll air daily episodes at 6.30 p.m. Eastern until the 24th. Or you can hear the whole uninterrupted series on Christmas Eve at 8 p.m. or Christmas Day at 2 p.m. Eastern here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Talk about good. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we are talking about overcoming tragedy. Um, not even really overcoming it. I don't know. I guess that's probably a misnomer. You probably just grow into it, and uh, you probably take your your view a lot higher than maybe we all do here as mortals, just trying to make it through this crazy thing we call life. We're talking to Jeff Olson, who's the author of "I Knew Their Hearts." The Amazing True Story of a Journey Beyond the Veil to Learn the Silent Language of the Heart. And uh, Jeff, welcome back. Thank you. We so appreciate your story. Um, And again, for those that missed that segment, uh, Jeff just told the story about how he lost uh, in an accident, um, a tragic accident where he had rolled his car. Uh, He lost his wife and a child. um, And uh, one son survived with a broken arm, and Jeff had really taken a beating emotionally, mentally, physically. Um, 
So, Jeff, tell us, tell us, you're in the hospital for five months, surgeries, you lost your leg, uh, had to had to convalesce, and yeah. uh, I'm assuming just needed people desperately. Yeah, it was uh, it was one of those situations where I really um, <laughs> had to learn to be still. You know, I mean, I couldn't talk because of the respirator. I was they had actually tied my arms down because oh. I kept tugging at all the equipment. Um, and there was nowhere to go. There was nothing but just to be and, and literally be still. And, and uh, you know, my, my brothers, and I'll give you some background. My, my mom and dad split up when I was young. I was four years old. I had an older brother and a younger brother, and we became very, very close. Hmm. I mean, we spent time early on with my mom and then later moved with my dad onto a farm. And, uh, you know, my, my brothers were my best friends. I mean, they uh, we, we, we played sports together we'd grown up together we dated the same girls half the time it was kind of crazy really but uh but anyway they really showed up for me i mean they they practically lost their jobs just being by my side even though i couldn't talk just to hold my hand you mm-hmm. know and let me know that they were there and uh you know i i can't tell you how how connecting that is it's funny because we when we talk with words and we communicate with words that's that's one thing but there's a whole different level of communication where where words aren't used and can't be used. Right. Um, uh, that, that, that there's an energy that that is, is exchanged there that becomes probably even far more profound and powerful than than the words we try to articulate. But my yeah, my brothers were fantastic. My mom and dad were fantastic, and family and friends and business partners. I I was I was very lucky to be surrounded by so many people um, that loved me. And, and cared about me and, and saw me through this. And yet the personal journey was really my own because there was no, even with all that external love and validation, um, not until I ever came to peace within myself did I ever find, you know, true healing or, or a, a process of moving forward. Right. And, uh, you know, there was there was many things. It was interesting in those days at the hospital because... Um, as the days turned to months and weeks, I mean, I literally, it was touch and go. I kept having complications. I kept throwing blood clots, uh, pulmonary ambulisms, oh, wow. lungs. And and I kind of had one foot in this world and one foot in the hereafter through yeah. the whole ordeal. Um, but you had already been told by your wife. Yeah. Don't, you're not coming back, dude. You you're not go. coming back. It's not your time. And I, I couldn't be killed. That was the, I mean, that was, that was quite a time, quite, quite honestly. And this is a bit of a, uh, it, it was silly. I don't know. I must have been all the morphine I was on, but I, I figured I could take my own life in the hospital. I thought I'll hit this morphine button until I just go. Yeah. And when that didn't work, I, I literally, and at this point, I had been unrespirated, so I could speak. I was begging my brothers to bring me a gun. I thought I could end it. Um, right. Because I, I was really, you know, I was I was done, and yet it, it, it was just before they did the amputation. I mean, gangrene is what took the leg. It, it they just couldn't get the circulation to work, and it had become. Um, I mean, it was it was going rotten. It was right. so severely infected, and the doctors kind of said, "Look, we've got to take that leg tonight, or he'll be gone this weekend." And although I wanted to go, and I had lost all vision of being there for my son, and, and really my son that survived, is that, that was my anchor. I had to be there for him, mm-hmm. but it had, it had gotten so bad, you know, that I had, I'd even lost sight of that. I thought, I've got to just end this. I can't deal with it anymore. Um, but my brothers uh, came forward, and no, nobody, you know, I, I was in no state 
because of all the medication, to sign the release form to do the amputation. Right. But they had to have a medical release. And uh, my mother cried, you know, she didn't want to sign it. I, I had been a Division One athlete. I played football at Utah State. And oh, wow. Here was her strong, you know, here was her strong son, and I was going to be, you know, maimed yeah. for life. And, and my two brothers, who are my heroes, they kind of locked arms and said, you know what, we'll sign it together. We'll, we'll both sign the release together and take responsibility because we're not going to let him go. We're not, we're not, we're wow. not going to allow him, even though he wants to, um, to go. He's got a son here to raise, and he's got a life to live, and uh, we're going to be there for him. This sounds so strange because it's, it really is a blessing because most of us don't know how everyone else around us would handle it or uh, how blessed we are or how the true, uh, the true sense of love that you know. We yeah. we don't know it because we've never had that test, right? Right, and it's you know it, it's funny. I, I don't think anybody knows. No, we all we all we all hope that we would be there like that, that we could do that. But I think you know when it when it happens, you you only really know. Right. And even I mean even at a at a more cosmic level, you know. I mean for a while, I I, I maybe I was angry at my wife. Gosh, how could you leave like that? Right. Oh, you know and. And I, I've come to understand, even at that, I mean, I've learned things in this life I could have learned no other way. And so she, in, in, in her unconditional love, left me to teach me the lessons that, that I could not have learned if, if things had gone differently. That's you know? beautiful. Well, I mean, and really, you, you, you have to remake sense of life and purpose, and it must just elevate you. Not like you are perfect. Hello. Come oh, on, no. Jeff. No, no, I mean, no. look at you, my friend. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm just kidding. But you're, just, you're still a human, but you're, it's, it just makes you different. And then as you tell the story, we become different. We start to take these thoughts into our head of, wow, like your very first question. I loved it. To what degree did I learn to love? I mean— I- that's a question each of us should be asking at this time of year, right? Yeah. Or life yeah, it's every day. It's, yeah, it's a beautiful time of year to do that. But yeah, every day. Every day. And I, um, you know, I, I had profound things happen. And, and, and it's funny because everyone wants to hear about the profound things. And mm-hmm. then I say what the story is really about is, is not the, the you know, near-death experience. Right. It's about the life experience of actually being here and, yeah. and, and, and coping and getting through it. Um, and, 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 and you're right. You know, it's, it's so interesting to just take a step back. And, uh, when, you know, when I was out of the body, wandering around the hospital and connecting to these people in this profound way, I'll, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll try, and, and I say that, I use that word consciously, because it, it was easier to do if I was, when I was out of the body. But mm-hmm. in the body, I tend to have judgment. Well, there's right. that homeless guy wanting money again. And, you know, and, and if I just stop and look at them, you know, and look at them differently and remember, remember that connection that I experienced and say, gosh, you know, what's a couple bucks to let him go get a hamburger? Sure. You know? But what I if mean, he it, goes and drinks it? Come on, and what, Jeff. And, and, what if, and what if he does? Yeah, you know, right. I mean, that, that, that's, that's what we do, thing. though, that's, huh? Yeah, we do. We do. We stand in judgment where I, I think for me, seeing all that judgment removed for those brief moments and, and realizing that in many ways that's what I call God, that's how he sees us. He doesn't, right. you know, he loves us for the path and for the journey we're taking and knowing that we're, we're here to learn. Right. And we're learning our lessons in, in many different diverse ways. Um, that's the, the we, we really are, that, you know, we're connected. We get to assist each other. Well, and that's, I guess that's it, huh, is um, you're in this network of humans 
yeah. this earth. One of my favorite quotes uh, is by Teilhard de Chardin that says, we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We're spiritual beings having a human experience. Yeah. And so no, that's true. isn't it interesting that when you get tossed to the edge of humanity, you ended up naturally going pure into spiritual, which, yeah. is, which is your real identity. It's who you are. <laughs> And most of us can't sit still enough in who we are as humans to get back to the spiritual. Like, if everybody could spend, I don't know, a month in the uh, in the in the intensive care unit with a a trachea down your throat breathing for you, um, where you couldn't talk and were tied down and you just had to think. Wow. Yeah, that was it was profound and knowing. I mean, having that profound moment of looking at my body and realizing I'm not my body. It's a beautiful vehicle for me to get through life with, and yet it was pretty banged up. But, yeah. but knowing that I'm far, I, I am far different than that. I am a spiritual being. I am, I am something that's, that's far more eternal. And, and, and so what am I here to learn? You know, and it, it was interesting in, in those moments laying there, you know, with the machine breathing for me, yeah. all, the, all the why questions. Why me? Why did this happen? Why did I lose half the family? Why am I so banged up? Why can't I get to my son? And, and they shifted at some point where I began to ask what, you know, what am I learning from this? And that's, that, that's what opened up some healing to where I began to feel that there was purpose and there was um, there was wisdom, and uh, and that it was it was really um, a gift. It was a gift to uh, not to lose my family or to lose my my body, but but to gain the wisdom which mm. which I know goes with me. That this is this is yeah. kind of a temporary school, and I get to take that with me. And and no one's ever really lost. They just move into a different realm. Is that the na- is that the and we'll get back when we come back from the break. I'd love you to explain it if if it's a natural process to go there, or I mean that then it is natural that we go to the why questions, um, but we eventually got to get to the what is 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 it uh, do you do you recognize how you got into the higher state of being on this? So how did you get to the part where you forgive yourself and put it all in the healthier perspective? Did you learn that while you were in that state? I, I did. I had, um, <laughs> I, I had a profound experience, and I'll, I'll just call it a dream, and, and I'll share this if we have time. You know what? Let's actually save that. All right. Because let's I'll... take a break right now, but I want, we'll come back to that. I want, no. that I, want, I want you to teach us kind of what you, you, your dream, but your, what you learned, um, oh. it, especially in forgiving yourself, the hardest part, I guess. Um, We're talking to Jeffrey C. Olson, the author of the book, I Knew Their Hearts, the amazing true story of a journey beyond the veil to learn the silent language of the heart. Great lessons from a great, great, I guess, tragedy and opportunity, um, depending, I guess, how we slice it. We're going to come back. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. KBYU-FM, HD2, Provo. With so much information flying at you every day, how do you know what stories are talk-worthy? 
Join Kim Stilson and her guests to help you keep up on the world around you. Tune in for Talkworthy Monday and Friday at 4 Eastern on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Good afternoon, I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Republican lawmakers on Capitol Hill have produced a plan that would allow the U.S. to dodge the pending fiscal cliff and counters a plan put forward by President Obama last week. Led by House Speaker John Boehner, the Republican effort to solve the pending tax hikes and budget cuts calls for a savings of $2.2 trillion. The plan would achieve this by increasing tax revenues through a reform of the tax code, saving on health care programs and cuts to discretionary spending. Boehner says he hopes the White House will seriously consider this plan because going over the fiscal cliff will hurt job growth and the economy. Israeli officials are moving forward with plans to settle contested portions of land despite mounting international criticism. The move from Israel is a response to a U.N. General Assembly decision last week which upgraded Palestine's statehood status. Several European countries and even leaders in the U.S. are condemning the settlement plan. Israel plans to build 3,000 residences in the occupied West Bank and parts of Jerusalem. Officials in Washington say the move will hinder newly made peace efforts in the region and are urging Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to reconsider. Officials in Russia and China are urging North Korea to abandon plans for a missile launch that would violate U.N. Security Council agreements. If the launch attempt does move forward, the new rocket would follow the path laid out for a failed rocket launch from earlier this year. Japanese armed forces have been put on standby in preparation for the launch and have warned the North Koreans they will shoot the rocket down if it deters from the stated path. A U.S. State Department spokesperson condemned the launch, warning that the U.S. is against any action that could harm stability in the region. Nearly 20,000 students across five states will have to deal with longer school days and a longer school year starting next fall. The long school days are part of a program to improve U.S. education nationwide. This pilot project will add 300 hours to the school year in Massachusetts, Colorado, Connecticut, New York, and Tennessee, and is funded both by federal and state budgets. Private donors are also giving $3 million a year for the next three years to help kickstart the effort. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We are talking to uh, Jeff Olson, who is the author of the book, I Knew Their Hearts, The Amazing True Story of a Journey Beyond the Veil to Learn the Silent Language of the Heart. And uh, Jeff is just telling us how he went through a tragic accident, a car accident where he lost his wife and son, and he also lost a leg and was in the hospital for five months recovering, learned the power of a few things like... Uh, being still and uh, getting into our more spiritual self. So, uh, Jeff, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Matt. 
love to have you get into uh, as we're as uh, we were talking before the break. You you had to forgive yourself. I mean, and and like you said, I I really really respected what you said at the very beginning of the show, where you said um, this isn't something you'd forget. You just it's it's you, you deal with it every day. Yeah. But somehow it, the pain's gone differently. It's changed. Yeah, and I, I did have, um, I mean, it, it was a profound experience. It was a dream. I mean, I, I went to sleep, and this was at the end of my, my hospital. So stay. you weren't under the influence of major narcotics? No, time. no. In fact, I was <laughs> in the rehab unit. I was, I was off all of major, uh, and any, I, I, I was taking a little bit of Tylenol. In oh. fact, it was just, just a week before I went home. And, and I had finally been able to t- start to sleep on my side. I mean, I'd, I'd been on my back so long that I'd rubbed a bald spot on the back of my oh, head wow. laying on my back. But I, I finally, and, and, and again, my brother was there, my younger brother was there. I, I rolled over on my side and, and went into a deep sleep. But in that, in that sleep, I, I had a dream. But it was, it was a very vivid dream to me. I mean, suddenly I found myself in that place again. Um, and I say that place is I knew I had left this realm. It was that was that place where I had said goodbye to my deceased wife and come back from. And yet this time there was no you know tragic. You've got to come back. There was no one there to meet me. I was on my own and I was completely healthy. Two strong legs. I was running about the place and I I came up on a corridor, a beautiful you know structure of a corridor. And I, I started down the corridor and found a crib. I, there was a crib at the end of it. So I rushed to the crib and, uh, and there encountered my, my baby boy. Uh. And uh, he was alive and what well. What was his name? Was, his name was Griffin. 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 It was a family name. That was his uh, maternal grandmother's maiden name. Hmm. So we used it as a first name. But, uh, but in, in this dream, I swept him up. I held him. Um, I, 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 I stood there weeping, holding him in gratitude, just marveling that he was there, he was okay, that I was with him. Um, and, and I felt a, a presence or a being come up behind me, a, a person, a very, a very um, powerful, loving, um, and, yet, and yet personal, um, I, I, I'm going to call it God. Mm. I, I, I stood there in the presence of, of what I call God, and as I held my little boy weeping over all that had happened and yet marveling that I was there with him in that moment, um, this, this loving Father God held me. Mm. And uh, I, it was actually so powerful, I was startled. I didn't quite dare turn around, but as he held me, this rush of, of understanding came into my, into my very heart. And, and this is what assisted me to see things differently. As, as he held me, my life, I just, I, it kind of all rushed through me, the accident, all of it, everything that had happened. And I saw that um, it was all absolutely perfect that it was, a per- it was part of the perfect plan, that I had actually co-created that with him for my experience so that I would learn what I came here to learn and that, that there were no accidents, that none of it was an accident, that there, were, there was no blame, there was no fault, there was no judgment, um, that simply the universe was supporting me in my process of learning what I came here to learn and that choice had everything to do with it. Hmm. Um, and in fact, in, in that poignant moment, I was given a choice. I could choose to be a victim. I could choose to be hurt. I could choose to feel guilty. I could choose you know, to beat myself up for the rest of my life over what had happened. 
or or this this divine creator which which held me in that way said or I'll allow you to give your son to me and so he never has to be taken away you get to exercise some agency some will in this and literally give your son to me and that might feel differently hmm. and and it, and it did with with an overwhelming message of of choosing and choosing joy in, in everything in life, not that the situations are ever joyful. It, it's it's tragic. It's right. traumatic. As you recounted what had happened this weekend with the students, yeah. I mean, my heart breaks. I you know, uh, and yet I know that every individual is on their perfect path, and they came here to learn. And and by golly, they'll learn it through yeah. through strange and diverse ways. But we'll get our money's worth, and <laughs> um, and if we support each other here. And if we uh, love each other and assist each other, we'll get through it. Right. In the end, you know, in the end, all there is is wisdom. We, 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 will, we will have such wisdom from, from what we've uh, gone through and what we've learned that, that in the end there'll be nothing but love and light. It's funny, um, as, you, as you just sit and talk, Jeff, uh, you know, we always say, you know, you always get to choose, but you're somebody that's been through it. So, I mean, it, we always make it sound so simple, but— as the, you learned that lesson on the far side of the mountain, yet you, yeah. you realize after having gone through it all, that, and you actually realized it in some spiritual dream. I mean, what a gift. Of all the things you learned that day is the power of uh, Griffin. You get to have the, the understanding of it all, but then also um, you, you have a choice as you yeah. now are ready to leave— and go start living a life, you've got a choice. Yeah. And, and I don't want anyone to think that it was healed immediately. No. I mean, I did, I did have a profound experience, and I woke up from that back in my hospital bed, yeah. back in all the pain. And, Isn't that the irony? It, you have this yeah, epiphany, yeah. this beautiful <laughs> yeah. vision, and then you wake up back in the hospital room. Right. And, and life was rough. I mean, yeah. and, I, and I, I often got discouraged. I cried for two years. I, I mean, life has moved on in a beautiful way. I've, I've remarried. We've adopted two little boys who are growing up beautifully. But, mm. but you know, my life, I, 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 I still had a big wound in me to be healed that, that, uh, that I often looked externally to heal. I, I wanted, you know, my, I, I, I wanted my new wife to love me and to right. be better. And I wanted my, you know, and, and, and I, I finally came to the, to the realization that nobody could heal me but me. It, it had to be done from the inside out, not from the outside in. And, and, and I'd been given that gift or that dream uh, to hold on to through a 15-year process to ever get to where I really um, was at peace. Hmm. What do you do day to day, Jeff? So, You've got the vision in your head of that peace exists. You even have it kind of etched in there, so you have this spiritual feeling about it. What do you do every day, or what would you recommend to others that have gone through tra- tragedy? I mean, it's it's a personal journey to each, I guess, is his own. But um, what what do you recommend daily that got you through the the process? You know, I um, a couple of things. Every day, situations will come up where I'll say, "What What am I learning from this?" You know, it may yeah. be something hard or something wonderful, and I say, "What am I learning from this?" So, to ask the "what" questions, what am I learning? How am I growing? And then taking that time to be still, as as much as it was forced in the hospital. Now that I'm back and active and working and have a family and a, a demanding day job and all these things that go on, um, you know, ten minutes to just be still and and not so much i mean i used 
I, I still pray. I used to pray a lot, and mm-hmm. praying was all about, you know, even kneeling down and talking and saying things. Now I find that, that listening, just listening, being still and listening to what, what does my heart tell me, and, and what are those inspirations that come, um, that's, that's, that's far more valuable than what I have to say. Oh, isn't that so much? And I guess, too... Um... It's interesting, when we think about a prayer, a lot of times we think of it kind of as a morning thing or an evening thing, but maybe it's something that we just, we have to do always or when we need it. Like, I'm assuming just you driving down the street could see something that would have reminded you of Griffin. And right then is when you needed to somehow be still and not get wound up in everything else you're seeing, or even even just seems like the emotions of it all would very easily take you over. Oh, yeah. Yeah, in fact, I, uh, I, I, I never set out to write the book. I, I wasn't my intention. I, I don't fancy myself an author. However, the book's doing very well, Is but I, I was... That's the marketer in you, though. Well, <laughs> maybe, maybe. Because you are good at PR, and uh, I mean, you, that's your profession by nature. Yeah, you're a, yeah, I, you're a communicator. Well, yeah, I'm a creative director at an ad agency, right. and so I love you know concepts and ideas, and I I'm very passionate about that. Um, but we need to hear this too, I think. Well, and that's the thing; it's it's about the message. I I went back to the scene of the accident. Um, you know, a publisher had approached me about doing the book and said, "Will you please tell the story?" And I, I went back to the scene of the accident, just kind of to be still and 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 come to terms with is that what I really want to do is that what I'm meant to do and is that right. one of the reasons I'm still here and uh, you know and and that's that's kind of what came to me so it wasn't about me or my ego or my story right. it was about it was about opening up a space for people to get their own answers and to heal from whatever it is they're going through in their life and. I, I, at, at that scene, and this is in the book, but I, I picked up two little stones that reminded me of one of Griffin and one of Tamara, my deceased wife. I mean, not not that they were rocks, but they were very, you know, they they were rocks in my life. Right. They were very solid, and I uh, I still have those stones. And from time to time, you know, I'll carry them in my pocket because I do just want to hold on to that and remember what I remember what I have. Not 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 concentrate on what I've lost, but 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 be grateful for what I have and for what I've learned and, and uh, to let go of the pain a little bit. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I so appreciate you, Jeff, uh, being here. You also have um, given us five books to give away. Yeah. So yeah. for our listeners out there, we would love to give you a copy of Jeff's book, I Knew Their Hearts, The Amazing True Story of a Journey Beyond the Veil to Learn the Silent Language of the Heart. So if you're listening and would love a free copy of Jeff's book, you can give us a call right now at 801-422-0143. 801-422-0143. We will be giving uh, five of these away. Uh, it's basically first come, first serve. But you can go purchase your book. Uh, where can they get it, Jeff? You know, it's it's on Amazon. It's both on Nook and Kindle, so you can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, locally, for those in Utah, it's at Deseret Book, it's at Siegel Book, uh, Costco, some Costcos are carrying it. Mm-hmm. it. It's pretty much everywhere you want to find it, but the easiest way to get it is probably to go onto Amazon or Barnes & Noble and uh, take a look there. That's great. Uh, again, Jeff, thank you so much for your story and just for your great spirit. Uh, if you, again, want a copy of that book, give us a call, 801-422-0143, and uh, we'll send that out to you. Jeff, thank you. Have a very Merry Christmas. 
Thank you, and happy Christmas to you as well. And thank you for your spirit and the great lessons. You have been listening to the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to take a break. And uh, actually, let's do this before we go. Um, there's a, I have another hero along with Jeff Olson named Victor Frankel. And uh, some of you may know a little bit about Victor. So we've actually asked Bryce Tobin. He's not going to be ranting today. Today, he's just going to tell us a little bit about an amazing man, one of my heroes named Victor Frankel. Victor Frankl was a smart, talented kid from Vienna. Early on, he got involved in psychology and medicine. By 1937, he had finished school, received his degrees, and opened his own psychology and neurology practice. Things were going pretty well, but he was Jewish, and it wasn't long before things in Vienna became hostile. In 1942, Victor, his wife, mother, father, and brother were all arrested and taken to the labor camps that we now know as concentration camps. The first camp that they were taken to was in Bohemia. His elderly father died there of starvation. His mother and brother were sent to Auschwitz, where they died in 1944. Victor's wife was sent to another camp, where she died in 1945. But keep in mind, after that first camp where they were separated, he was left in the dark for his entire time in these camps. But let's back up to Auschwitz. There was a point where Victor was taken to this concentration camp, and this was grim news. You see, the camps themselves were a well-kept secret for a long time. Towards the end of the war, people knew something was up, but of all the camps, most people knew that being sent to Auschwitz was a death sentence. Somehow, Victor made it out of there alive but only to be sent to another camp. The entire time, he made sure to keep his head low and not get noticed. He learned early on that the people who got themselves noticed also disappeared. If the soldiers ever needed a doctor, he always volunteered in order to give himself a job and keep himself from the harsh labor that killed so many. I'll spare you all the details because they'll really bring you down, but I will share with you some of the more striking moments that really had an effect on Victor. For example, conditions were so bad in the camps, one night a gentleman who was sleeping in the same area as Victor began to toss and turn and he fell out of his bed. Didn't take very long for everyone to realize that medically everything was okay. He wasn't having a seizure or anything worse than that. He was just having a nightmare. But as one man went to wake him, they stopped him. As Victor put it, that nightmare could not have been as bad as this man's reality, in which they were all living. And it would be better to allow him to experience the nightmare than to wake him up. Now, being a psychologist, Victor made a lot of observations about people. The scariest were the people they called the kapos. Kapos were prisoners that were put in charge of other prisoners. Much like Victor, you'd think this would be something positive, because certainly your fellow prisoners would understand your situation and be more lenient. But this was very much not the case. In fact, it was by far the opposite. The kapo were the most abusive and manipulative in all of the camps. And in contrast to this, it was not rare for the soldiers or the guards to be pleasant in the very least. Once the end of the war was approaching and camps were being liberated, the order was to kill all of the prisoners in an attempt to leave as little evidence as possible. When the camp Victor was at got the same order, one of the guards sent him and a few others on another assignment while the rest of the camp went elsewhere. They had no idea about the order or the impending liberation, but because of this guard, Victor was spared, unlike the rest of the camp. These sort of experiences led to Victor's conclusion about people and races, that there were really only two kinds of people in this world. There's decent people and the indecent, and you find them everywhere. But all of this led to the completion of Victor's life work, something he called logotherapy. The gist of it is that there will be suffering in life. There's no way of really avoiding it. Without a purpose to the suffering, despair takes over. But if this suffering has some sort of purpose to you, then it can be handled. Suffering such as having your life uprooted and never really knowing whether or not you're going to be killed the next day. Or coming home from that horror only to get news that your wife, mother, father, and brother did not survive their time in the camps. One of Victor's messages to the world is that as long as it has a purpose to you, you can survive whatever suffering you may be going through. Good work, Bryce. Uh, honestly, just great lessons. I love um, 
aren't you grateful that you can learn something through tragedy? <laughs> what if it was just tragedy and we weren't able to learn? Uh, Victor Frankl, one of the greatest memories I have of his lessons that he teaches was simply the idea that we get to choose, right? The last great freedom of any human being is to choose how to respond to any given set of circumstances. By the way, the same lesson Jeff Olson was teaching us that he, that he had in that dream uh, when he was able to hold his son, Griffin. So we get to now choose. Uh, when we have a trial and we have a tragedy, it's up to us to now make it what it needs to be and never easy. Don't even want to pretend like it's easy. It just is our option. And for many of us, the choice is our only option, uh, really, that we have left. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to wrap this show up, give you maybe a few more tools, a little more hope, tragedy. It's, uh, it's there to learn from. And uh, we'll be back right here on The Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. A recipe for a rocket nozzle becomes the hot new thing in welding. Next. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future. NASA research is constantly coming up with new inventions to support and perfect space missions. But a lot of those innovations end up being useful to earthbound businesses, too. All it takes is looking at things with the right perspective. That's the case for a novel copper alloy originally devised for rocket engine nozzles. NASA's Glenn Research Center hit upon a recipe for blending traditional copper alloy ingredients like chromium and niobium with just a pinch of the element zirconium. That little change makes a huge difference in strength and how ductile the alloy can be. Ductility describes how much a metal can stretch without breaking, which is perfect for the hellish environment at the heart of a burning rocket engine. It turns out that this same environment exists on assembly lines using electric resistance welding. The metal contact tips are a perfect candidate for the new alloy, which could double or triple the life of these parts and at the same time let them perform welds with enhanced precision. It's all in how you look at things. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, great show today. We've uh, we've given away the books. So all of you that are out there trying your hardest to get the books, uh, Jeff Olson gave away co- five copies of his book, I Knew Their Hearts. We've given those away. They've gone everywhere from Jenny in Canton, Georgia, to Yvette in Gillette, Wyoming, and to Tom in Rio Rancho, New Mexico. We're covering the globe. Uh, also gave uh, one here locally in Utah. So, again, tragedies, they're real. I don't want to pretend like they're not. There is, um, there is a lot to learn from it. So we've asked our producer, Rob Sanders, to uh, to go kind of uh, investigate it, learn what he could from those that know. Uh, tragedy is tough on its immediate victims, but its unintended consequences can really hurt a child's emotional development as they suffer secondhand pain. Poor parenting choices, too, cause damage that can last a lifetime. The story is about a baby boy. His father's an alcoholic. 
His mother works in the world's second oldest profession. Dad's out of the picture, and Mom once tried to sell him to a waitress for some booze. This childhood of abandonment, neglect, and just out-and-out chaos added an unimaginable amount of trauma and stress on this boy's formative years. And as his body grew to adulthood, he found himself in and out of prison, charged with committing robberies, molestations, and other felonies, including conspiracy to murder an actress and murder many others. Too many, in fact, to be able to talk about in just a short radio piece. That man is convicted murderer Charles Manson, who at age 77 continues to serve a life sentence in California's San Quentin State Prison. NBC interviewed Manson back in 1987, and producers described the tape as so unbelievable they only were able to air a few short minutes of it. They found a man who was unshackled, unapologetic, and unruly. Dr. Kathy Seifert, Ph.D., writes in Psychology Today and gives us a glimpse into the troubled minds of children who grew up in stressful, tragic homes. She says Manson was one of those children. He grew up with no social or family support. His home life was traumatic, where he received no warmth, no loving care that kids require to be emotionally healthy. And it trapped him in what she calls a stage one moral development leaving Manson as devoid of a concept of right and wrong as a one-year-old infant. He became egocentric and untrusting of everyone. But Dr. Seifert says not all children of tragedy are destined to become felons. For instance, a very poor boy from a very poor village in South Africa. His father died when he was just age nine. He grew up in a time and a country where blacks were treated very cruelly. He went to live with another guardian. But instead of leading a life of crime and violence, this man became Nelson Mandela, one of modern history's greatest figures of emotional intelligence and humanitarian service. So what's the difference? Well, Dr. Seifert believes it's all about the severity of violence and chaos a child is exposed to, what resiliency the child has to be able to cope with the violence, but most importantly of all, what kind of social and family support the child has. She says Nelson Mandela's father created a strong, supportive social atmosphere in his early years of life, where Charles Manson's mother did not. Mandela lived with a guardian after his father died. Manson was left to fend for himself. Her takeaway message, the world isn't perfect, and parents don't have to pretend to be perfect. Tragedy and trauma happens. But when they do, adults need to offer children the support they require, especially in early development years. Well done, Rob. Uh, as uh, as always, this uh, just a great show. I mean, who's going to get out of this world without being either a direct victim of a tragedy or an indirect one, being the child of parents that were abused, the child of parents who were involved in a tragedy or a war? I mean, this is life, and I wish there was just an easy way for us all to just dodge it, but apparently... We all, you know, we're here to learn it, as our great guest today has taught us. I also cannot say enough about his advice, uh, Jeff Olson's advice about being still. Um, How many times are we just not quiet enough? And my concern is that our technology, the influx of all of this information, all this stimulation, um, is going to keep us from being able to get inside and finding those things that are most special about each of us. So as you're out there driving, uh, just battling life, thinking nobody quite understands, uh, as you think of the the tragedy that was suffered um, uh, 
you know, with uh, with these with Sandy, uh, Hurricane Sandy or Tropical Storm Sandy. And over the years, all of the crazy, uh, chaotic tragedies that have taken place. I guess there's one thing that's unique to all of us. And that thing that's so unique um, is probably the thing that brings us the most peace. And I would just, uh, I guess, say we got to find that peace. And I believe the peace is inside of us much more than it is outside of us. I believe it ex- it exists in you, and if you'll take your opportunities when you're pushed to the extreme, to um, to to instead of looking for outside things to fulfill your needs, maybe just hush down, quiet a bit, find the peace, and uh, in the peace, I think you'll be able to find enough uh, inspiration, maybe enough revelation, maybe enough connection to your God that you'll be able to know what to do next. It's not easy. I don't ever want to pretend like it is. It's just what it is. Um, Again, thanks for joining us. We're here every Monday through Friday, 5 o'clock Eastern time. We would love to have more time with you trying to change the world, trying to teach us all how to be better humans. You know, none of us uh, had a handbook, and so we're here to learn together. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back tomorrow right here on The Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Are there some global issues you wish you could know more about or could get an inside perspective on? Notes from the Kennedy Center presents lectures and seminars from international diplomats and scholars discussing issues and events from all over the world. Become a more informed global citizen and tune into Notes from the Kennedy Center weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.